Hello and welcome to another UK Column interview. And today we have got the most fantastic collaboration between us here in the UK and the USA. So if you're watching in the USA, good morning. And if you're watching in the UK, good afternoon. And I just have to say that today's interview couldn't have taken place without our great friend, Cheryl Granger, and also our producer, Stephanie Sinclair. So huge thanks and appreciation to both. And actually, I am today joined, firstly, by Cheryl Granger. Um, you'll all know Cheryl from the previous interviews we've had with her. She's a self-employed uh, pharmaceutical consultant, training consultant, and I'm delighted that she's been able to facilitate this interview. And you're joining me today, Cheryl, so welcome. Thanks, Debbie. Nice to be here. And uh, there's a, a very good reason why Cheryl's joining us today, which is exactly what you're about to find out, because I'm joined today by Amy Kelly. And Amy is the COO of the Daily Clout and Programme Director for the War Room Daily Clout Pfizer Documents Analysis Project. Amy has a BA graduating summer come law day with the greatest honour. And as a member of Fee Beta Kappa, she's a certified Sigma Black Belt, and that's not martial arts, that's advanced leadership. She's an experienced project manager. She's got experience as a business analysis, sorry about that, and a strategist. And few, my goodness, how well qualified is Amy Kelly. And one day, Amy decided to sign up as a volunteer on the Daily Clout, Dr. Naomi Wolf's Daily Clout. And then her life changed forever um, in a remarkable way. And I actually call her the angel with clout. So I'm delighted Aww. to be able to welcome Amy Kelly to UK Column. Amy, hello, welcome. And please take us on your journey of how you got here. Thank you so much for having me today. And I'm honored to be with you guys. I really enjoy everything the UK column puts out. Um, it is a crazy journey I've been on. As you said, I was very familiar with Daily Clout as well as Steve Bannon's War Room and a fan of both. And I heard them put out the call for volunteers to work on the project to analyze the Pfizer documents when those started being produced. And they started coming out for the most part in March, 2022. Um, a few documents came out before then, but that's when they started having big productions each month. So I signed up on the form to volunteer to go through them. And I got a call a day or two later from Daily Cloud asking if I might be interested in actually managing the whole project. They had gotten such an amazing outpouring of response from people who wanted to volunteer that they were just blown away and not really ready to deal with um, managing that many people. And they didn't have a project manager on staff at that time. So they called and uh, at the time I was actually on a trip with my family and we talked about it and I told them this is something I'm super passionate about because since the start of the pandemic, I had been researching and very involved. And so I said yes, and that's how I got started on this. Well, we are absolutely delighted to have you. And as you can see now, there's all three of us on screen. And we've got so many questions, Amy, to ask you, because obviously a collaboration with you and your work with The Daily Clout and what we're doing here in the UK is so important. And for somebody mm -hmm. like yourself, I can't imagine how you must have felt. I mean hundreds of thousands. Cheryl has kept us very much up to date with the sheer volume of the documentation that you've received from Pfizer. And there's more coming from Moderna and hopefully more from AstraZeneca. You've got thousands of volunteers. I cannot imagine mm -hmm. how overwhelming it must have been. And before I throw it open to Cheryl, I just want to ask you, did you think to yourself, gosh, this is like Everest. I'm going to get to the summit and then only find another Everest on the other side. Did you ever think it was too overwhelming? 
Well, it was a lot at the beginning because I had never managed a group this size before. And I had never managed a volunteer project, you know, where these people are just out of the goodness of their hearts, giving their time and skill sets. And so I was wondering how it would go, but I had had so much experience in project management. I decided to get down to the brass tacks of that and take that approach. And it has worked really well. And I think one thing that's been so helpful is the volunteers are an amazing group of people who are willing to help their patient and understanding. And so as I was settling into the role and trying to figure out what worked, they really worked with me and were willing to provide extra help outside of just the research to help the project succeed. So, and yes, it is Mount Everest. We're um, edging up on about 450,000 pages that Pfizer has produced for its 16 plus clinical trial. And there will be additional Pfizer documentation coming out for their 12 to 15 trial. And that could start coming out as early as this month or next. Um, We actually just got the first production of Moderna documents yesterday. So that was super exciting. And we can talk about that some. And there's two different Moderna lawsuits. So this is the one from Defending the Republic. And I can talk about the difference as well. And then starting at um, in early 2024, Aaron Series firm has told me that that is when their Moderna documentation will be coming out. And they also did the Pfizer 12 through 15 uh, legal case that is getting that released. And so the production schedule for those two things is two years. And believe it or not, it's going to be 180,000 pages a month. So we have lots of mountains to climb still over the next two years. So that's wow. the 4.8 million um, pages that we're talking about in total. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just blows your mind thinking that it's millions of pages. I, I, I remember you saying at one point you thought, perhaps it was a hope, that some of the Moderna um, documents were actually duplicates. Um, but obviously mm-hmm. until you get you don't know that, do you? You have to wait and wait and see. That's right. You have to wait and see. And so um, I'm, I'm so interested to see what comes out in the Moderna documents, not just for what they show for themselves, but now that we have the comparison of the Pfizer documentation to look at them against to see what similarities and differences there are, because the Moderna yeah. dose is 100 micrograms versus Pfizer's 30 micrograms. And so it's going to be telling to be able to look through theirs and see how they differ. Yeah, I should also just say to people, um, for anybody that wants to look at the Pfizer documents, to buy the book, um, to go to the Daily Clout website and to see Amy's Substack and Getter, all the links will be posted in the article that's going to accompany this interview. So if you just go to all of those links, you'll be able to access the documents and the documents There are 50 documents on uh, the Daily Clout that can be accessed for free. So please go to Mm -hmm. the Daily Clout and have a look. Cheryl, do you want to to carry on about, I know that you've got questions to ask about the researchers and the volunteers that Amy's been trying to coordinate as well. Yeah, I mean, one of the things when I try and mention this to people is this start casting doubt over the quality of the people who are researching, which is totally unfair Mm -hmm. from what I've um, we saw mm-hmm. um, Dr. Chris Flowers um, in an interview with Naomi Wolf, and he's obviously a mm-hmm. Brit. And we're trying to get hold of him to see if we can have a word with him so that he can recount his um, story. Um, but can you kind of summarize the type of person that you've got doing all this work? I know there's 3,500 of them, so obviously you can't summarize everybody. Yes. But what? Sort of, uh, what gives them the ability to be able to do the work they're doing? Well, we have one group that is um, attorneys, and that's about 250 attorneys. So obviously, they're great as far as uh, running legal questions by and having ideas around that. 
And then the other volunteers are the ones that are actually going through the Pfizer documents. And we have medical doctors, we have um, biostatisticians, we have registered nurses, we have medical researchers, we have pharmaceutical professionals, uh, truly all walks of life. We also have um, people that are very skilled as far as data analysis and dealing with huge amounts of data goes. And so we call them our data team and they've done amazing things. One thing some people don't know is it's not just the PDF documents that have been released by the FDA for Pfizer's production. There are also these files called XPT files and they're database files. And so when those started coming out, I at first I didn't even know what they were. So I conferred with um, the group and they did know. And we've actually got 70 gigs of XPT data now in a database that is searchable. Uh, we haven't, it's not publicly facing, but if people have inquiries about the data that they want to know about, we can have special searches done. And we have done that, for example, for people that wanted to know about pregnancy information that's in there or when dosing was done or when the placebo group was vaccinated, for example. Two aspects of it are publicly facing where you can, it's called track a trialist. So like you can pick a subject number ID and see everything that happened to them in the trial. And the other part that's publicly facing, and I can give you more information on where, is it's track a trial site. So you can select one of the trial sites and see everything in the database files that's related to that particular trial site. So lots of data. And we we truly do just have amazing experts on the team that have given so much of their professional skill set. People who have more or less, they're still retired, but almost come out of retirement and are working on this full time who are extremely qualified. You've seen absolutely everything. You are the shop window for this whole project. Um, Can I just Mm -hmm. ask you, what do you see, because you've seen everything pretty much, what do you see as the key issues arising from the 75 reports? Oh, it's it's a horror show of adverse events. When I think about the key issues of one of the main things that comes to mind is reproductive issues. Um, Not only miscarriages, but how menstrual cycles have been affected, how fertility rates have been affected. There's been significant birth declines. We know now that it affects not just women, but also men as far as fertility goes. Uh, So that's been quite shocking to think about and what the long-term implications of that are, especially as it's moved down to where they're even vaccinating babies now. So what we're seeing now in the adult population who, you know, is of reproductive age, you wonder what you're going to see when these children and babies are older and reach and go through puberty and reach that point. What issues are they going to have around that? Um, one of the other things that's really stuck out to me is women are significantly more affected by adverse events across the board, except for some cardiac issues. And that's been so sad to see how much more highly they're affected. Typically, it's usually um, two to one. So like two thirds of women or two thirds of adverse events are much more significant in women than they are in men. And then more recently, something that's been coming out in this, um, it's concerning and it, it is shocking. And I think about it a lot is we have something new emerging. It's almost a new disease category and there's different names for it. I've heard it called long back. I've heard it called COVAX disease I've heard it called spike protein disease. It doesn't have an official name yet, but it's all the same things. And um, what you're seeing in those scenarios, 
tends to be multi-organ involvement in disease, which is not what's typically happening. Like, for example, some you'll have someone go in to be treated for cancer, and that's the issue they're being treated for. But what we're seeing is people who may go in and find out they have cancer and also find out they have an autoimmune disease and that they're perhaps having kidney or liver failure at the same time. And even in the cancer aspect of it, there's something new emerging. There's a couple new things emerging, but I'm going to talk about this one in particular to start. It's called multifocal tumors. And um, what that means is typically if a woman goes in, for example, and has breast cancer, she'll have a tumor in one breast, so on one side, and that's all she'll have. But what we're seeing now is a woman may go in for breast cancer and find out she has two or three tumors across both breasts, which is not typically how that presents. And then, of course, we have the horrors of what's been termed turbo cancer, where instead of somebody getting diagnosed at stage one, by the time they go in, they realize something's going on and they go in, they're at stage three or four of a cancer and and a lot of times they aren't tra- responding well to more traditional cancer treatments. So those are some things that really stick out to me. And who is seeing this information? Who should be seeing this information? You know, why haven't <laughs> we got more of a reaction to it? Why aren't the colleges, the medical colleges, um, making connections between what they're seeing and what's actually being shown within the documentation? There is an amazing lack of interest in what we have found, as I'm sure um, you guys aren't surprised. There's interest in alternative media, and certainly uh, we are in contact with what we often call the dissident doctors, the medical freedom doctors, who are quite interested in our findings. We've had um, multiple Congress people reach out to get copies of the book you mentioned, as well as more recent reports. And that's both at the state level and at the federal level here. So it's wonderful to see that people who have that type of influence are looking at it. However, in the mainstream media, and for example, like you said, the university um, hospitals and so forth, they just don't seem interested in what's being found. And in fact, quite the opposite want to say, you know, it's not true. We get fact-checked, those types of things. Although, even though we get fact-checked, no one has ever come back and said any of our reports are incorrect or um, not telling the truth because they're all cited and they're almost exclusively cited from the primary source documentation, so it's difficult to argue against that. This is the primary source data. Um, Mm -hmm. So the FDA got it and supposedly read it through in a very short Mm -hmm. space of time. Do you believe they even looked at it? Well, I'm thinking that with... um, However many millions of pages we're talking about, I guess with the current productions, we're edging up on 5 million total. And they said they reviewed it all in about six weeks, but they didn't look at it. Or, you know, they like spot check some things. But honestly, my position on that is that the decision was made beforehand, that the stamp of approval was going to be given. And so it was essentially a formality to submit it to the FDA and have them allegedly look at it and then um, issue the EUAs around it. Do you remember seeing an interview with June Rain where she said that uh, she'd been up all night for seven nights, her team reading the documents to make sure that this injection was safe for us. And now we find out that there's millions of pages that would take absolutely years. I mean, the thing is, Amy, now that we've got this info, that you've got this information Mm -hmm. and all your volunteers are finding out the horror show that's gone on behind it, we know that you're also working with all of these lawyers. What, um, Mm -hmm. and, and the amazing work of Aaron Siri, 
But what what legal processes are there now in place? What can we do? What can you do with this information on a, a legal basis? Well, in the U.S., things are challenging because we have something called the PREP Act. And the PREP Act is at the federal level. It gives extremely broad immunity to everyone involved with the vaccine from um, the initial research all the way to the person who injects it in your arm. And you essentially don't have legal recourse against them um, at the federal level unless you can prove something called willful misconduct. And that has a very specific definition. It's challenging to prove. Um, so there is a, a case now that um, Children's Health Defense is behind that is actually challenging the PREP Act. And I so hope they will be able to move forward with that. I do believe their case shows willful misconduct, but, you know, being able to say it shows it and then getting the government to admit that it shows it is a whole different thing. Um, in the U.S., I feel like le action taken at the state level is more effective at this point in time. And for example, we've had lots of letters written to state attorney generals showing things, for example, like reckless endangerment, or um, there's other terms in the U.S. for reckless endangerment varies by state. But essentially, this is an example. They knew um, that myocarditis was occurring Pretty early on, I believe it was in April of 2021, and it wasn't announced in the U.S. until uh, May of 2021. So during that time frame of, you know, four to five weeks, tons of people got vaccinated. Lots of them were younger people, and they may not have gotten vaccinated if an announcement had been put out that this may cause myocarditis or pericarditis at the time that they knew it, but they waited. And so that's one of the angles that's been used for reckless endangerment. Also in the U.S., um, they have used advertising that's called public service announcements. And I, I don't know exactly what uh, if drugs are even allowed to be advertised in the UK, but they are advertised constantly in the US. And typically when you have a drug advertised on TV or the radio, there's this laundry list of possible side effects at the end that they say really quickly and then cut it off. Well, public service announcements are done by the government and that's what they've done for the COVID vaccines. And in a public service announcement, you don't have to list any of the side effects. And so we've had um, a case in Ohio where they are challenging that aspect of it, as well as that it was targeted towards children. Uh, and so there are actions taking place. It's difficult because of the legal immunity that's been given to vaccine manufacturers and people involved here. That happened in the 80s. And it basically happened because the vaccine manufacturer said, we're not going to produce vaccines unless you give us legal immunity, which should have been a red flag to everyone. But instead, the U.S. government gave them legal immunity and they've been producing them and not being honest ever since. Yeah, yeah well, we're not allowed to advertise um, uh, ethical uh, preparations here, um, but we can vaccines because it's a public health campaign that usually goes oh. behind that. Um, so mm -hmm. there's been so many um, adverts paid for by us through our taxes to basically encourage people to go and get vaccinated. Yes, I mean, same thing here. Where, you know, the taxpayers are paying for it, and it's just infuriating when you think about it in that regard. Cheryl has been trying for a very long time now to get the same information that you have from Pfizer and Moderna from AstraZeneca, but the law is mm -hmm. slightly different in the UK. And uh, as yet, we've not been quite successful. Cheryl, do you want to, to bring us up to date with how you're getting on trying to get the AstraZeneca data? 
Yeah, I mean, the problem is here, we've only got one legal system. You've got 50 states. <laughs> and like you said, the state mm-hmm. side, you get the right state and you have a little bit of look on your side and you, you get the um, uh, um, decision that you're after. Um, I'm still, um, well, I've asked for an internal review now. Um, so I'm waiting for that to happen. Um, they've come back and told me that they're going to take more than the 20 days I asked them to to take, um, which I was um, uh, able to ask them. Uh, they've now stretched it for another 20 days. So we'll see what happens at the end of that time. And that's just to do an internal review on what they've said to me, uh, which is a, a Section uh, 14 refusal, which is basically um, they think I've been vexatious. I've annoyed them. Um, they they basically um, I've asked for too much. I've asked for too much. It will take too much um, uh, time. It will uh, you know they'd have to use too many people. They haven't got enough people. Um, and on top of that, um, it would um, be something that they um, find too difficult to to get to me. Um, so. Where we go after that, I don't know. I go back to the ICO and ask for some uh, guidance, uh, depending on what the internal review says. If we're not happy with that, we can go and complain about that. Um, I've asked for the, um, you know, they say me, I've asked for the um, pregnancy um, monitor. So they did, um, the yellow card monitor um, looked at 2,000 pregnant women and uh, mm-hmm. June rain that this is what had happened and she was very proud of the fact so I was asked, I've asked for the information um, they didn't come back to me um, I chased them up they didn't come back to me so I went to the ICO the ICO um, virtually by return asked them to come up with an answer within 10 days and the very following day they've come up with an answer and they're basically oh, saying I didn't know you got an answer that's great so they're going to publish it all don't know whether it's in you know the year past to sleep we don't know when they're going to publish it and i've gone back to the ico and asked if there's some limit to that time frame because obviously if they publish it in 10 years time that's neither used to to anybody so um it's early days but they have sent some information um that they mm-hmm. presented at one of their meetings and i've got um a friend of ours to have a look at that and see if there's anything in there that is worth looking at um, because they're, they're a statistician and know a lot more about these things and use of data than I do. Um, but we'll see. Um, and um, they just keep referring within this response back to their um, recommendations for pregnant women on their um, yeah. website. Can you just very, very quickly for people that are watching, um, not in the UK, can you very quickly explain the ICO, the Information Commissioner's Office, and what it does for people that are watching that don't know our system? Yeah, the the ICO um, is looking after information and making sure that information is being used correctly. Um, And... Um, if you have any problem with the freedom of information that hasn't been um, handled properly, then they're the people that you go to to um, have a comment made and some actions done, hopefully, to try and bring the things to a conclusion. Um, so it's the, it's just this system that you have to go through. Um, do but, you know the um, time frame on the? Do you know the time frame on the pregnant women data that? you will be potentially getting? I haven't. um, It seemed to be from fairly early on. um, And I've been told that the monitor was stopped after a certain length of time. Not just the pregnant one, the monitor Mm -hmm. was stopped. So I don't know. We've got definite information as to how long they monitored the people for Um, Mm -hmm. on lots of different things it wasn't just pregnant people but if they got 2,000 women who were pregnant then um, they obviously um, had quite a lot as a base to actually uh, do this it's a bit like your v-safe and we know that right. the v-safe mm-hmm. information was so good because it gave you a denominator you had 10 million people that had taken part so that means mm-hmm. that you know how it's out of with our yellow card and you're theirs, you've no idea how many people out mm-hmm. there 
um, are actually uh, right. suffering. Um, it's just the people who go to the trouble of reporting it that you find out about. So a monitor is a lot better, um, but it depends if they let us mm -hmm. have the information. We should just explain to, to everyone, just in case they're not aware, that the VAERS is the, the US system of reporting serious adverse reactions. And in the UK, we have the yellow card. But with the VAERS data, I think, Amy um, and Cheryl, actually, this is addressed to both of you, because clearly there's a huge mm -hmm. difference, isn't there, in the data that's received by VAERS, even though both of them have got huge issues, probably the MHRA more so than than the FDA on this one, because you do get more information on the VAERS data. You get um, the sex of the patient, the circumstances with which they had a serious adverse reaction, the age of, of the person mm -hmm. that suffered that adverse reaction. You get more information, don't you, than we do on our yellow card. Yeah, I believe it takes about half an hour for a medic to fill in a form uh, for theirs. Whereas mm -hmm. you can send in a yellow card with very little information, um, not even the, the sex of the patient. So. Yeah, there's some good information in VAERS. You know, uh, it gets disparaged a lot by our media, um, but that's because they want to be able to say in some regard that it doesn't count, essentially, but it does count. And there is some really good information in there. And people have done a lot of work to figure out um, how un what the underreporting factor is. And it could be as high as 41%. And so that gives some perspective on, uh, you know, what's missing out of there, how, how many adverse events we really could be having. And when there was the big spike in um, reports, both with theirs mm -hmm. and with Yellow Card, at the beginning of the rollout and on it continued, mm -hmm. that wasn't seen as a spike for some unknown reason. You know, and you just looked I at know. total, what has been uh, seen in the past. If you tot up everything that's been seen uh, on vaccine uh, side effects over the past umpteen years, um, this just completely overtook it. It was a spike that should have been ringing bells in the FDA and the uh, MHRA and everybody else that was even collecting data. But, yeah. Yes, I know. And there's so many people who seem to want to say, oh, that's just a coincidence or more people are now aware of theirs, so they're reporting things they otherwise wouldn't have reported. But if you look at the timing of it, it's pretty clear what the main variable is behind the additional reports. Today, as we're doing an interview, the news has just come out. I've just seen it in the last day that um, a tornado has destroyed a Pfizer factory in the USA. Um, I'm just wondering if that's mm -hmm. a divine intervention there. Um, but what yeah. I wanted to very quickly ask you, um, Amy, and it might be a really difficult question, and I know it's a question that Cheryl wanted to ask as well. With all of this okay. horrific data that you're seeing, um, what's, what's shocked you most? What's concerned you most, having looked at it all? I really think the thing that's most concerning me, I, I told you guys some of the adverse events that are concerning to me, but it is that we don't know the horizon for how long all of this is going to play out. I feel like it's going to be multi-generational. And it, you know, at, going back to what I was talking about before, at least here, they are vaccinating children as young as six months old. And so there's just no telling how long the effects are going to go on. There has been at least one study done showing that um, that uh, you know, quote unquote, immunity, essentially what you get in your body, can be passed on uh, in a hereditary manner to other generations. So I wonder about that. And I just, I'm fearful for our children. They were already 
in my opinion, being so over-vaccinated compared to how they were when I was a child. And that was just with what we consider to be fairly normal vaccines, traditional vaccines. And even with those, we'd seen this incredible rise in disease and uh, autism and allergies. You know, it seems like almost every child now has some kind of allergy that you just didn't hear about that a whole lot when I was younger. And so now that we've thrown this novel mRNA technology on top of that, I'm very concerned about how it's going to play out even 10 to 15 years from now that we can't foresee. Because at this point in the game where we're about two and a half years out from the start of it all, we are starting to see new things like um, I was telling you the multi-organ system failure and multi-organ system disease. And so what's next? So it must really upset you that they're designing uh, mRNA for anti-cancer and lots of other areas as well. So it's as if, oh, yes, we've decided, we've brought this out, it works a treat, we're going to keep using it. Yes, and, you know, if you go and, for example, on Moderna's site and look at their pipeline of mRNA drugs, it's just terrifying. You know, surely every one of those probably won't get through, but even if just half of them get through, it's this whole large introduction of more mRNA technology shots people are going to be getting. And um, here, at least, they are also trying to change the flu vaccine from the traditional vaccine to an mRNA vaccine. And much of the population runs out every year and gets a flu shot. And I don't think it's going to be communicated clearly to the public that this flu shot is different than the one you've always been getting. So I think I foresee that being an issue, especially in such a highly vaccinated population, or I should say a highly COVID vaccinated population, because what happens is when you keep layering on levels of spike protein in people's body, they have worse and worse reactions. So, you know, the person who got one shot, they may have an adverse reaction. It could be quite bad, but they very well may not. But you get that person that's had the original two shots and then three boosters, and they are very likely not only to have had at least one issue, but probably multiple issues. And this is just going to add to that. Do you feel that we could be doing more? What can we do? What I mean, you've unraveled um, some brilliant information, being that it's terrifying. Um, mm-hmm. what can we do to spread the word more? What can we do in the UK? What can we, we do to wake people up to what is happening? Like you just said with the flu shot, um, you know, there's no informed mm-hmm. consent any, for any of these things. Um, they're not told what it is. They're just given it. Oh, I so want to get the side effects information out there. I feel like some of our best hopes are getting it into the hands of um, essentially politicians, people in legislatures that are more on our side and open to hearing about it and hopefully get them to spread the word. You know, even in the UK, there's been some very high profile people in the government speaking out against it. And I think that makes a big difference. Um, Otherwise, I feel like it's all a grassroots campaign is really encouraging people to tell others that they know. I um, I have people email me every single week that are going through just terrible side effects or their friends and family are. And when I share information with them about it, I ask them to share it on social media, share it with the people that you know in your circles, even if you don't think they're open to it. Um, You never know who might go home and think about it and decide that they are open to it and then tell someone else. And so right now, I think our best hope is a continued grassroots effort. How do you tell people, when people are calling you, 
with adverse reactions. And, you know, I, I've spoken to a lot of people that are experiencing adverse reactions and that have looked at the Pfizer uh, papers and all of the work that you're doing. And I personally, I ask them, how do you manage knowing that you've had one injection or possibly two or that your loved one has and they've, they've, they are now going through life-changing um, illnesses, how, how do they feel when you tell them the information? Because, I mean, for some of them, it must be devastating. Do you have to f- walk a fine line? or Because for some people, I could imagine it, it, would, it would send them over the edge. I mean, it's definitely a sensitive situation. Um, usually when they get to me, they are pretty desperate for information. And a lot of times they suspect what's going on. And I feel like want to be validated about their suspicions. So, you know, I try to be, of course, very compassionate, but also give them links to the information itself, tell them how to search for it, show them what they can present to the medical professionals they're working with. And so I try to empower them and validate them while also being compassionate and supporting them about what they're going through because it is hard. You know, I've had people, one guy comes to mind in particular, he's been suffering from just unbelievable levels of fatigue where he's sleeping like most of the day for about a year and a half and gone to doctor after doctor and didn't get anything. And when he contacted me, I was able to pull the information right away that shows I'm not surprised you're going through this. This is what I see. And he was just so glad to have some answers. I I do feel like that's mostly the reaction I get. What about the children and the youngsters? And I know Cheryl's mentioned, and so have you mentioned too, Amy, the um, data that you're expecting or have got on 15 and 16-year-olds? We don't yet have um, the clinical trial documents on the Pfizer 12 through 15, so we're waiting on that. Um, One thing that has really bothered me in Uh, analyzing and seeing the volunteers analysis of the Pfizer 16 plus information is how many children and babies were vaccinated during that time frame. And even like in the clinical trial and part of post-marketing when there wasn't an approved dose for them, I'm talking like even four-year-olds. And so How did that happen? What dose were they given? You know, only adult doses were available. Did anybody try to make an adjustment for that? Um, That has been hard to reconcile that that type of mistake could be made or that maybe someone caved to a parent who was really fearful about COVID and asked for their child to be vaccinated. And The other thing I've seen uh, through the work we're doing is some pregnancy studies, pregnancy and lactation studies that Pfizer did, where they knew there were harms to babies, that they were suffering all kinds of adverse events, both as a fetus and then afterwards as an infant who was born to a vaccinated mother and who was possibly breastfeeding from a vaccinated mother. And they, I feel like the women who are in that situations are gaslit by their OBGYNs, at least here, and told, oh, it's not related to that. You just have a fussy baby or, you know, I mean, there's been deaths, there's been seizures, there's been all kinds of things that have happened, awful skin rashes, and that they aren't given the true information of it. And so that's, it's very concerning to see. Um, Not only what I think is going to come out from adolescents and younger being vaccinated, but what's happening in relation to pregnancies and breastfeeding. Yeah, 
I mean, to me, the dose is, is, is a problem, which is what you've uh, already indicated between Pfizer and Moderna. So we're talking about uh, 30 uh, micrograms of, in the Pfizer dose um, and 100 micrograms of the mRNA in the Moderna. But with the kiddie doses, we've got um, 10 micrograms of the Pfizer and 25 mm -hmm. Moderna, which is virtually the same as the 30 micrograms of the adult um, Pfizer. So right. it's, it's just not, <laughs> it's not rational at all. Um, and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I saw some work way, way back, uh, probably in January 2020, some EMA um, information that Vanessa um, Kruger-Smith did, and uh, she looked at the mm -hmm. different doses they tested and um, it was basically the Pfizer that they were looking at. So it was 10, 20 and 30 micrograms that were uh, initially looked at. And they basically saw that you got no more effect, if you got any effect, but you got no more effect, but you got more side effects mm -hmm. with the 30. So you wouldn't have given mm -hmm. 30 micrograms uh, of mRNA in your Pfizer dose. You would have gone for 10, but you get paid more, don't you? Mm -hmm. You can charge got more in it which is a it's a yes. horrible way of, of designing your your preparation because it's as if it's designed to do harm well and children I, I mean obviously we all know children's bodies and organs are still developing yeah. and so you don't know what's happening in that case and then for example I think about when my daughter was in middle school let's say like 12 or 13 year olds there can be these tiny little petite girls that are still very small. And there can be boys that are already almost six feet tall and look very much like a man already. And yet, because they're the same age, they're going to receive the same dose. And that just doesn't make sense to me at all. They aren't developmentally the same. How on earth do you stay sane through all of this? Because you have a life to lead um you have family mm -hmm. i mean how do you manage and, and i as I, I guess as a nurse because i'm a nurse i, mm -hmm. I want to say how are you you know how are you coping with all of this huge information oh there are good days and bad days for sure um i am blessed to have a very supportive and loving family. They've been behind me in the work I'm doing. And they let me talk about when I'm having difficult days and bounce that off of them. It, it is hard to um, continually see the horrors that are happening and also feel as if you're being the constant bearer of bad news, but bad news that everyone wants to or needs to hear, whether they want to hear it or not. Uh, but I feel like I'm holding up pretty well overall with it. I, I try to focus on that I am really trying to help humanity and do good for humanity and that this is the contribution I can make. And um, I feel like, I truly feel like I was called to do this and providentially called like when this fell into my lap at the right time in my life when I was able to take a job like this. And it's been a blessing to me to get to know the people in this movement and work with the people in the movement. And so I do have others, even such as you guys who are going through similar experiences that I can talk to that really get it, that it's a heavy weight to have on you to have all this information, but that it is a big help to humanity to get it out there. Thank you so much. Um, we're so grateful mm -hmm. for all the work that all of you are doing out there and continue to do. So for the last question, Cheryl, over to you. So I've seen on the Daily Clout, you've got Liberty Lifestyle, um, which mm -hmm. presumably is trying to give people alternative healthy lifestyles. Um, has there been a lot of interest in that? Because it seems to me that the way out of this is to actually start thinking more about health and actually doing as much as you can for yourself to actually make yourself a lot healthier um, so that you can cope mm -hmm. with what's ahead. Um, is that something that you're involved in? or 
Yes, I am. Um, And yes, there has been a lot of interest in that. I definitely get contacted on a regular basis about, you know, I took one of these shots or two of these shots. What can I do now to help my body and help heal from it? And I I think it's really um, opened people's eyes to the need to pursue more natural instead of pharmaceutical solutions. In the U.S., there's been a huge turn away from pharmaceuticals now. You know, obviously some are needed. There are some drugs that are very helpful to people. But when you can suggest other ways to help your body, eat healthy, exercise, you know, buy locally. Like, for example, you know, raw honey is one thing you can get locally that's really good for your health. And to focus on the basics, kind of back to basics of how to take care of yourself. Um, There's a lot of interest in that. And we want to promote that as part of what we offer. Yeah. Yeah. It can't all be doom and gloom. You've got to give some, um, something for people to do and work towards. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And I think we all have to keep positive and, you know, Amy, we want to continue to work with you, uh, to support all that you're doing um, and to collaborate with you because hopefully in the UK, we're soon, hopefully, we will, I'm not going to say hopefully, it will happen. We will get the AstraZeneca data. Mm -hmm. It will come out and uh, we'll be contacting you to further collaborate with getting the information out. And I just want to thank Cheryl so much for all that she's doing here in the UK Mm -hmm. and continues to work with you. And to give you, Amy, the final word to thank you again and to very much hope that we can do this again because I know that there are so many more questions. So Amy Kelly, Daily Clout, the angel with clout, thank you so Mm -hmm. much. It's over to you for the last word. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me on. And I, one thing I didn't talk about during this very much, but I would like to mention is, as I said, the Moderna, first batch of Moderna documents came out yesterday. And please go to our website. There's an article right on the front page about what was released. And we have a lot of people in the UK who are volunteers for us. And with these millions of pages that are going to be coming out, anyone who is interested in volunteering to help go through the documents, I would very much welcome that. Please feel free to contact me directly at amy at dailyclout.io. And I also encourage everyone to go look at the Pfizer reports book that you guys mentioned. Those are the 2022 reports that were done by the volunteers. Lots of great information there. And we will be coming out with a second volume in early 2024 of the reports that are done in 2023. So keep your eye out for that. And we are able to do this effort because of many, many generous donors who have helped us. So if you are able to donate to this cause, there is a donate button on the dailyclout.io homepage. And we would welcome any amount you're able to give to help us continue this work.